When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. I'm actually recording this Thursday night. And so many of you will be listening to this. I'll be on the road to Columbia, South Carolina to go chase the Diamond Dogs out there in the Palmetto State. I'm eager to get there. I really, really am excited to go. I've never covered a game in South Carolina, so I get to mark another baseball stadium off the SEC bingo card. And I've had many of our baseball dads tell me South Carolina actually has the second best stadium in the conference, of course, second to Duty Noble Field. And I've had some other people say, well, you know, Steve, I like it, but it's kind of minor league ballparky. So I'm eager to go see it for myself. But also, I'm ready to go see some great baseball. I think this is going to be a great series. I do expect Mississippi State to win the series, but this is a really, really important series for us, not just because of the timing. You know, but, but also, too, because this is really the last hurdle Mississippi State has. And listen, I don't want to sit here and overhype South Carolina, but they're a very good team at home. They're really built for that ballpark, and we're going to get into that a lot later. But uh, this is going to be a very competitive series. South Carolina is shaking up their pitching rotation for the weekend to kind of change some of their luck on Friday because basically, you know, ever since they've been in SEC play, they've basically been 0-1 every weekend but one after Friday. And so they're, they're chasing the series on Saturday. Sunday, they've been really good on Sundays. So they're going to flip-flop a few things. We'll get into all of that. But uh, listen, man, it's been a good week. It has been. Mississippi State goes out to the Citadel, wins that ball game. We expected that game to go the way that it did. But there's a couple takeaways that I'll, I'll, I'll give you about that one before we kind of move on and look at South Carolina. Mississippi State played clean defense. Mississippi State threw seven pitchers and only had one walk. One. So we pitched it pretty clean, we played it pretty clean, and then we got a couple of big home runs. Brad Compass uh, hit one to the river out there in uh, Charleston. Goodness gracious. Logan Tanner hit another one. We were hoping at the beginning of the year that Logan would be a double-digit home run guy. He is almost there. And now all of a sudden you're starting to get some power from Brad Compass, and that was really the concern heading into the year. You know, we don't have uh, Westberg. We don't have Foscu. Where is the right-handed power going to come from? Well, Cam James has done a good job. Of course, Cam didn't play on Wednesday. That caused some concern. Cam was back at the hotel. I understand it was just a, uh, you know, kind of one of those day-to-day illness type things, not COVID-related or anything like that. He wouldn't have made the trip otherwise. But uh, he did make the trip, just didn't play in the ball game. We expect him to be full go this weekend. At least we certainly hope so. But it is not anything uh, that you should be overly concerned about. But – you know, I thought Tanner Leggett played a really good third base for us. And uh, I've talked about him on the show a couple times, talked about him on Bo Bounds, too. When you've got a utility guy like him, and this is a guy that's played all four infield positions and played them all pretty well. He booted a couple balls over at second base early in the year. But, um, you know, he is a guy that is a you know, kind of blue-collar, scrappy guy. Like, when you get him in the lineup, it's tough to take him out. I mean, he's a difficult out. He really is. And when he does get out, a lot of times they're productive outs. This is a guy that's got a pretty high baseball IQ. You know, we had a situation here recently, he couldn't get a bunt down. 
to move uh, Brad Cumbus to third, you know, in that ninth inning, but he still managed to get a ground ball to the right side. They were able to be able to move the runner, you know, and so I like Tanner Leggett. I like him as a piece for us. I don't think he's a difference maker in the respect that he's a guy that's going to go out there and go three for four for you and drive in a bunch of runs. But I do think he can be a rally starter and also be a guy that can move runners for you as well. I think you can hit and run with him. You had a busted hit and run last weekend. But I think that he is an important piece for us, mainly because defensively I think he plays pretty clean. Not going to make the spectacular play, but he's going to make the routine play. And at times that's been a real challenge for this team. You get the routine ground ball, and then you, you whiff on the on the scoop or you throw the ball away. And so if we can just have a guy that can field the ball cleanly, get a good grip on the baseball, and throw it across the diamond, uh, we're going to win a lot of ball games. Well, we have gotten into trouble, and you can trace it back in every loss we have, is when we make defensive miscues. And sometimes, you know, physical errors are part of the game of baseball. But a lot of these have been mental errors, you know, where you speed yourself up, you don't plant your feet. You don't go right versus left. I mean, you know what I'm saying? There's just a lot of things like that. It just, you know, it just can't happen. And so, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm going to look this up to be sure about this, and you'll probably hear me typing, I believe that's three errorless games in a row. I think that's right. Let's double check that. I usually have that Hell State tab up here. I don't right now. But let me, let me pull that up, and we'll look at the game-to-game stats together. I know you guys are excited about the series, too, because I think we all kind of realize, you know, once you get this one, it really, really, really gives you some room to breathe a little bit about that top eight national seed. And I've talked to some people that have got some knowledge of the situation, some college baseball experts that think right now Mississippi State is in position to be in the top half of the national seeds. So a chance to be in the top four. Now, at the end of the day, once you get to Omaha, it doesn't matter. You know, because, like, you're all going to basically be in the same bracket. This year, there's just so much parity in college baseball. You know, a couple years ago, we were thinking, man, we'd really like to avoid that Vandy bracket, and we didn't. You know, we're thinking, man, if we could play those guys in a national championship series, we got a good chance. I don't know if we could have beat them twice anyway. But uh, be that as it may, we were hoping that, hey, we can avoid those guys in in our bracket. We got a chance to get to the final. Didn't work out for us. I think this year – because it is so even, and I think Arkansas is going to be a different team in that big ballpark. I really do. I don't think it matters which bracket you're in. I, I really don't. I don't think it matters which bracket you're in. I, I think it's once you once you get there, it's going to be one of those deals that is just you know basically you know, anybody's tournament. And, and why not us? That's the thing I think about with all this. Why not us? And, you know, familiarity breeds contempt, right? I mean, you know, so we are so acutely aware of what happens at Mississippi State. We think these things don't happen with other programs. If you visit other schools' message boards, the complaints are the same. You just change your names. I mean, that's that's what you do. You just change your name. So Mississippi State did not have an error in the game against the Citadel. Uh, Looking back here, too, at the schedule here. It's one of those things, too, like sometimes I'll have all this stuff together and then I'll, I'll start chasing a rabbit trail and think, oh, I should have had notes on that, too. But I believe, and I'm going to double-check this, too, I believe over the weekend the final two games of the series against Texas A&M, we didn't have errors. So let me plug those box scores in just because I, I think it's important you know, to kind of note that we're, we're beginning to see the showing up of the defense. And, and I know some people say, well, you know, we, we had to sit some guys. We had to do that. And, of course, I think Josh Hatcher still has some things to do uh, to kind of get things rolling. And, uh, you know, Cam James is a guy that's been kind of up and down a little bit defensively. 
and so, yeah, I was absolutely correct. We have not had an error in the last three ball games. Now, I probably jinxed us. We'll probably go out and have 10 tonight. But, uh, you know, I say that because I think it's important to, to understand it. You know, Chris Lamonis has not sat around, you know, with the pet hand here and said, okay, this is our lineup and this is our defensive alignment and, and let's go win some ball games. We've continued to kind of tinker. That's where I give uh, Lamontis a lot of credit. It's like, you know, even later in the year, it's like, you know what, we've got – this is an issue, let's fix it. This has been an issue, let's give this guy an opportunity. This guy's been struggling a little bit, let's sit him a little bit. And it's not a malicious thing. You know, listen, these guys are all – I won't say, say they're pros, but these are guys that have been around the game. They don't need to be reminded they're hitting the buck 50. They don't need to be reminded that they've made a, a two-base uh, two base error that cost us the run or extended an inning. It's just like we talked about with Christian McLeod. I mean, we've had a couple of these outings, and a lot of times he's the one that takes the collar. But when he's rolling ground balls and then we don't make the play, we throw the baseball away or we don't make a play there defensively, it extends the inning, extends wear and tear on the arm. And the next thing you know, he's having to get out of the ball game a little bit quicker. So we got to play defense behind him, and that's good. Again, since Tanner Leggett has been in the lineup, the last three ball games, we played airless baseball. And sometimes, you know, you make a move that gels the whole defense, right? I mean, that's what happened when we moved Foscue to second. You know, Gunnar Halter went to third, didn't work out for us. We, you know, we ended up putting Marshall Gilbert there, and he's, uh, you know, he's a catcher. And, but he, he played well enough. You know, he, there, he wasn't perfect by any stretch of imagination. But, uh, you know, we made some things happen. And so, and it just seems to me that, you know, third base has kind of been an issue for us. I mean, even dating back, you know, maybe you go all the way back to Alex Datz in 13, since we've had a consistent third baseman that could make, uh, you know, make the routine play rather routine where it wasn't an adventure. And maybe the last time. I mean, even Gavin Collins, as much as I like Gavin Collins, you know, Gavin was a converted catcher that really kind of had to learn to play third on the fly. But it's been an adventure at times at third base. And so, you know, I think Cam moving from short to third that was really good initially and you know he's had a couple of rough uh you know rough ball games at times defensively but uh yeah the, the bottom line is is Lamona says you know what hey let, let, let's do what we can to address that let's put Leggett in the ball game let Cam James DH that way we keep his, his bat in the lineup and you know Cam's the guy that's going to get it I know a lot of you it's like sometimes we forget the fact that the majority of these players have never played in SEC before the overwhelming majority of them. And we think, oh, we've got all this experience with Hatch and Rowdy and, and Tanner Allen. You know, well, Brad Cumbus, you know, is a guy that uh, is really kind of playing his way into a starting role for the first time. You know, Christian McLeod, Will Bednar, Jackson Fristo, those guys never pitched in the SEC until this year. You know, Cam James had never played an SEC ball game until this year. And so we haven't had a lot of SEC experience, though we do have good leadership on the team. And so – there is an adjustment, and some of these guys will be better for it next year. And many of these guys are going to be back next year. And guys like Braylon Skinner, I mean, it's like, you know, and, and God bless Braylon Skinner, man. This is a guy that, you know, was expected to start early in the year, and he, and he hurt his, his wrist and he had that hammered bone removed. And he's not where he needs to be. And that's not necessarily, you know, indicative of his talent or his potential, is this is a guy that's kind of making up for lost time, and he's still not quite 100%. And, and listen, his pitch recognition is not good. I mean, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say it myself. When it's a full count, I expect him to swing. I mean, sometimes it doesn't even matter where the baseball is. But, again, it's about getting reps and gaining experience, and we're going to be better for this in the long run. So we go out there to Citadel, we take the ball game, and 
you know, we play clean defense. We pitch it really well. And, uh, yeah, listen, Cade Smith, you guys, you might as well go ahead and get ready for that one. Cade Smith, uh, his first start as a collegiate player and uh, did a good job for us. He said four appearances now, three of those four really good. Struggled a little bit against UAB. But that's to be expected. It's going to be some up and down. But this is a guy, too, that if it had been a full draft last year, he wouldn't be at Mississippi State. It's a guy that grew up a Bulldog fan, wanted to be here, but uh, would have had a decision to make if there had been a full draft in 2020. There wasn't, but he's here. So we'll benefit from that. And I think, I think when you begin to get into next year, you know, I think Fristo is going to be that much better. And I think Kate Smith's going to be in the mix there. Mikey Tepper's going to be in the mix there. You know, I don't, I don't know if Mikey Tepper doesn't, uh, you know, become a closer at some point or reliever. I don't know. But I, I think that guy's so electric with the stuff, you can feel kind of feel good about the, the young nucleus we have. And that's the thing people worry about. Says, well, you know, Bednar's probably going to go on a draft. C-Mac's going to go on a draft. I mean, the whole, the whole starting rotation at the beginning of the year may be gone. But I think if we're recruiting at such a high level, it's going to be okay. You know, old wins in this league, so you'd love to be able to get McLeod back and then kind of get him to take a jump next year. But he is one of those guys, too, when you begin to break this thing down, when he can throw the breaking ball for a strike, he is a completely different pitcher. I mean, that's like giving somebody the keys to the kingdom. When you can land the breaking ball for a strike and you can change speeds, you can win a lot of ball games. What happens with Christian, and as we saw at Vanderbilt, the first time through the order, he's able to change speeds and land that breaking ball for a strike, and he gets seven strikeouts and nine hitters. And we were all thinking, man, this is going to be a magical night. We're fixing to beat Kumar Rocker. And then the second time through the order, he loses a release point. He's not able to land that breaking ball for a strike. And so next thing you know, Vanderbilt said, you know what, we're not going to chase that anymore. We're going to sit dead red here, and he doesn't have a plus fastball. He's got a decent fastball, but he's not, you know, he doesn't have enough pop on that fastball to really blow it by people. So he needs the breaking pitch and the off-speed stuff to be able to strike people out. And so when that was removed, and Vanderbilt all of a sudden just says, you know what, we're not going to get off the fastball. We're going to sit fastball. Next thing you know, he's out of the game. And so that's what's got to happen against South Carolina is he's got to be able to kind of maintain his composure and maintain that release point and get us through the order a couple times. If he can get through the order a couple times, I feel really good about Mississippi State's chance of winning a ball game. So, again, we'll get into that a little bit later. But, uh, again, we expected a big blowout at the Citadel. We got it. Listen, you, and you, listen, you know Chris Lamontis wasn't going to go up there and hang 20 on those guys. You know, he started, uh, you know, putting in pinch hitters in the seventh inning. You know, he wouldn't go embarrass his alma mater. That's just not how life works. Not to mention his best friends, the, the head ba- baseball coach at, at, uh, at the Citadel, and he and Dan McDonald and – and uh, Lamontis all played together there at the Citadel. And so we go down there, we take care of business, and uh, the team spent uh, Thursday morning in Charleston, kind of enjoying the city, had a nice meal, and then uh, busted over to Columbia and got ready to roll. Practiced at the facility Thursday night. They're going to be ready to play a ball game tomorrow. I spoke to Tanner Allen for an interview on jeanspage.com, the Mississippi State affiliate for 247 Sports. Very candid interview with T.A. I asked him about all the questions that I thought you guys would be interested in hearing. Some of those were about the high pants, the mohawk, walk-up song, what it means to wear them over us. You can go check it out. It's a free article. We even got the uh, seal of approval from one Chris Lamonis, who responded and said, this is a great article, and said, T.A. is exactly what Mississippi State baseball stands for. I guess he can keep the mohawk. How about that? So you guys go check that out. 
Remind you, when you're in town, go and see our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. Two locations now to serve you with a third one coming there in central Mississippi. You guys get ready for that. We'll have some grand opening information when it's available. But until that time, you need to go by and check out our friends on Gloucester Street there in Tupelo and then University Drive here in Start Vegas. It's Bulldog Burger Company. You know the place. You know the deal. Had some friends of mine go in there earlier this week. Said, Steve, you know what? It's been a while since we've been in there, and I think it's even better now than it was then. Love that place. Love those people. You will too. Go by. Have the spring rolls. They'll make you better looking. Find your own favorites. You know, if, if you just want a great rock and roll burger, a good restaurant quality hamburger, you get the Bulldog. But if you want to get out there on the wild side a little bit and, and uh, maybe enjoy life a little bit more, let's go get to Smokehouse. Let's get the Mission. I get the Pico de Gallo on the side. You may like onions. I don't really like them. I didn't choose to, to dislike them. I just don't like them. I don't think they taste good. What's weird is I do like onion rings, but I digress. You go by, find your favorites, Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. All right, so let's get into South Carolina. I like this South Carolina team, to be honest with you. I, I really do. I, I think they are going to be a sneaky tournament team. I think they're a team that could really sweat somebody out in a regional. they got to figure some things out. Uh, Pitching-wise, and I I don't think they end up hosting. I think they're going to end up dropping some games down the stretch. But I think they'll be a solid number two somewhere. And we're going to get into that selection process a little bit later in the show. But I do like the team. Now, I don't know if you guys are aware of this. Mississippi State has played a lot of teams that are among the nation's elite in home run hitting. State played Arkansas, who leads the nation in home runs at 76. We knew they were going to be pretty good offensively, probably a little bit step ahead of what we expected. Uh, number five in the country is LSU with 65 home runs. We beat them. You may have forgotten that. It's been so long ago. We went there and took a series two out of three. Probably should have swept the whole dead gum thing. They're fifth in the nation in home runs. The number seven team in the country in home runs, we beat them too. Texas Tech, they got 64 dingers. The number nine team in the country in home runs, we swept them. That's Auburn with 62 home runs. And then we're going to get to play the 11th team in, in home runs, and that's South Carolina with 61. Because if I had come out here and said, man, these guys are 11th in the country in home runs, all of you like, oh, my gosh, here we go again. Guys, uh, this is part of baseball. You're hitting home runs is part of baseball. And, and for South Carolina, that's kind of been the book on them, is either they hit home runs or they don't score. And so they're a, one of these launch angle teams in an offensive ballpark. They're going to come out there swinging for the fences. So we're not, you know, if we're going to elevate pitches, we've got to make sure we really get them up. Because if you leave something belt high, it's going to be on SportsCenter. Simple as that. So this is a team that's very dangerous offensively, but there's a lot of swing and miss in this lineup. And so you get them sitting on your pitch, it's going to be trouble. You get them swinging at your pitch, it's going to be a much, much better ball game. So let's take a look offensively, kind of what South Carolina, I mean, South Carolina has done this year. Uh, Brady Allen, and it seems like uh, you know Brady's one of those guys that may not get the notoriety that he deserves because he's second in a lot of offensive categories at South Carolina. The, the first thing that jumps out to me about this this team, they don't have a single starter that's hitting over 300. Not a single one. It may explain what a 27-15, right? But they are a team, again, that can hurt you a little bit. So Brady Allen hitting 296 leads a team, also has 11 doubles, a triple, 11 home runs, which is second on the team, and 34 RBIs. Also a guy that can run the bases pretty well, 8 for 8 and stolen bases. Uh, Braylon Wimmer, 289 is a hitter, 
also eight home runs, 24 ribbies. A guy that gets around the base is pretty good too. Four for seven. So, you know, I don't know how many people are going to try to steal a base anyway this weekend, but uh, South Carolina as a team doesn't steal it a whole lot. they got a couple of guys that are pretty efficient, but um, they're not necessarily a, a, a fleet of speed merchants. Wes Clark, this is the guy right here, number 28, had a really good weekend against Ole Miss, even though they got swept. Wes Clark is a dude, man. Wes Clark hitting 279. 17 home runs, 40 RBI. Not a guy that's going to get out and run a little bit, but he also has uh, struck out 51 times, and that's actually second on the team. He's been walked a team high 36 times, and you and I both know a lot of those walks are kind of those intentional, unintentional walks where you just kind of pitch around him. That's kind of been the book on them too. It's like, you know, you got to make somebody else beat you. You can't let Wes Clark just sit there and tee off. Uh, Josiah Seitler is another guy that uh, – rather interesting guy. 277, eight doubles, six home runs, 23 ribbies. But there are home runs up and down the order. Only got a couple double-digit home run guys, but they've got some guys that can hurt you. They're kind of in, in the respect – you know, you think a little bit like – I won't go as far as Arkansas because I don't think anybody's quite as potent as them. But they're a lot like Auburn. Whereas one through nine, they're good mistake hitters. They're going to come out there looking to untie their shoes and really swing the bat hard in case they make contact and hopefully it's a home run. They have not been a team that has notoriously been able to play the big inning where they string a bunch of hits together. You go out there, you walk a guy, you give up a single, next thing you know it's a three-run dinger. You might have pitched it pretty well the whole night, but now you're at a deficit. And so those are things you kind of got to look at with these guys. Now, getting a little deeper into the, uh, the order here, you know, it, it really drops off in the bottom third. We've, talk, we've talked about this many times. The teams that consistently win, the teams that get to Omaha and compete for national championships, are teams that get some level of production from the bottom third of the order, and they can find a way to be at least 500 on Sundays. That the teams that find the third pitcher and find some production in the bottom third are the teams that get to Omaha and win. Uh, that hadn't been South Carolina. That's just one of those things. And they're probably panicking a little bit after getting swept last weekend because everybody was so excited, you know, when they swept Florida. And, of course, Florida takes two out of three from Vanderbilt and then kind of stubs her toe this Thursday night. So uh, it's going to be interesting what happens with the SEC. But South Carolina, you know, really felt like they were in a good position heading into that weekend at Oxford. I think most of us thought, yeah, it's going to be a tough proposition to go in there and win that series, even though Ole Miss had lost – you know, four in a row. But with Nikhazy and Hogland back, you feel like, okay, maybe Ole Miss should win that thing two out of three. But South Carolina goes in there and doesn't even get a game. I think most of us expected that thing to be a split. I know I did. And then South Carolina doesn't get a game. So it's time to panic a little bit. I mean, it really is. And we're going to break down the schedule a little bit later in this segment. Uh, But, again, this South Carolina team, similar to Texas Tech in their offensive philosophy – when it comes to this launch angle stuff, I mean, that's, that's, they're, they're going to go out there and swing for the fences consistently. It's just going to be a matter of can we get under some bats? Can we, you know, can we get them hidden in some disadvantaged counts rather than being predictable? All right, so let's talk this pitching rotation here because there is a change this week. So regular Saturday starter Brannon Jordan will pitch Friday. Regular Sunday starter Will Sanders will go from Sunday to Saturday. And then Tommy Farr, regular Friday guy, goes all the way to Sunday. Farr has been the guy that has kind of been the pitcher of record in a lot of these Friday night losses. 
they've really struggled to get some run support. That's I've read with great interest some discussion about that on the South Carolina message board. You know, people say, well, hey, well, why, where are our Friday runs? Well, Friday runs that are premium everywhere in this conference because, you know, usually everybody puts their best pitcher on Friday. You know, I think State throws their best guy on Saturday. But you throw McLeod out there on, on Friday. I mean, you know, it's like it, it's not a matter of that South Carolina forgets to hit on Friday. It's just the quality of pitching that they face. You can say, oh, we're scoring these runs on Saturday and Sunday. Well, yeah, because you're, you're, you're facing the second and third best pitcher. Against everybody's ace, they've struggled. And that's where I think this is a big moment for Christian McLeod. He could really come through here and really make a difference for Mississippi State. I think if you win this game Friday with them moving far to Sunday, you've got a great chance to take the series. And if Bednar is on his game on Saturday, you might have a chance to go sweep the series. And that's why I think this Friday game is so incredibly important for us. Absolutely imperative that Christian McLeod goes out and has a good ball game for us. So let's look at these numbers uh, on these guys. Uh, we mentioned Brandon Jordan. Uh, Brandon Jordan is a four and three pitcher, three point four two ERA. Uh, not a huge strikeout to walk guy, though he does lead them in K's with eighty. He also has walked thirty seven. He's also been susceptible to the long fly, uh, ten doubles and eight home runs. But opponents are batting just 154 against them. And so basically what that tells me is that a lot of these, uh, you know, these free passes are getting on base. He's also had five hit-by-pitches, which uh, leads the starters. So when these, when these guys get on base, he's not giving up a lot of big hits. But when they do give up the big hit, there are people on base in front of them, and some of that has been kind of self-inflicted. So four and three record, 3.42 ERA. Uh, Will Sanders – Six and two with a 3.38 ERA. His strikeout to walk ratio much, much better. 45 Ks to just eight walks. He is a guy that has given up some hits, though, has allowed a batting average of 244, uh, seven doubles, a couple triples, and seven dingers. Also, four hit by pitches. And uh, so it's going to be interesting to kind of see how these guys kind of behave with this uh, change in the schedule. He is a guy, too, that doesn't go deeper into ball games. He has had 17 appearances and nine starts, but just 45 innings. So he is a guy, basically, that is an opener, and they're hoping that he can get them, uh, you know, you know, four or five innings. That's, you know, we'll see how that works out for him. Uh, Brandon Jordan, uh, a little bit better. But uh, Tommy Farr is a guy that has probably got the most value as far as innings pitched per outing, 61.1 innings pitched in 11 starts. But he's also a guy that's taken some losses, and they hadn't won many of his starts. He is just 2-5 and five on the year. And, again, he will be your Sunday guy. Originally, he was supposed to be the Friday guy, and so we were thinking, man, we might win the Friday game and then find a way to just kind of get one. But Sunday, they have played pretty well, and that's because of the fact that they've had better pitching on Sunday. So they've kind of flipped the order, and we'll kind of see how things uh, you know progress. You know, Jack Mahoney is a guy that started some for him. We don't expect to see him, even though – uh, he's got pretty good uh, numbers on the year. Uh, Brett Carey is a guy that's a veteran guy. He is uh, one of their closers, probably the closer. He and Julian Bosnick both have, uh, have closed some games for them. Uh, Brett Carey, 13 appearances on the year, a 3-1 record, 30 innings pitch, allowed a hit per inning, which is a lot for a closer, but 59 Ks against just six walks. So this uh, South Carolina bullpen, not great, but not – Ole Miss either and you kind of know what I'm saying there it's like uh, Ole Miss has got some arms but they have some guys that give up a lot of runs 
looking at this uh, as a staff here, uh, they have uh, put together a 3.63 staff ERA, which is pretty good, all, all told. Looking at the numbers all the way across here, it's just one of those things you look at and you begin to kind of wonder, you know, when you see how up and down they've been with the schedule, you know, how good is this rotation? Uh, you know, they're, they're going to pitch in the same ballpark we do. You know, we've got some guys that can swing it a little bit too. And so – Eager to see how it all shakes out. I do think, again, this is going to be an entertaining series. I can't say that I'm nervous, but I am, uh, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I'm also very, very aware of the fact that we could go out there and lose a series. If we go out there and elevate pitches and, and uh, we don't locate well, it's going to be a long weekend because these are guys that can absolutely rip the baseball. But if we go out there and we're able to throw three pitches for strikes, it's going to be a long, long weekend for them. One of the reasons I kind of suggest that is uh, if you look here uh, at, at these statistics, and, and it's it's so hard sometimes working on these dead gum PDFs. It's like, I don't know why we can't just all use uh, HTML. Uh, but looking at the strikeouts here, you know, as a team, 389 strikeouts. 389. And uh, there's a couple guys with over 50. So, again, a lot of swing and miss in this lineup. You just got to be able to make it count. And when you make a mistake, you got to hope they, they don't hit it out of the ballpark. We got to keep it in the ballpark. And, you know, one of the things I think about, too, with Christian, too, like we, we saw last night with the Citadel, you know, the ball was hot out to left field, but it was a graveyard out to right field. You know, we really need the wind to blow in and kind of help Christian a little bit because I just think, you know, if he – if he leaves some fastballs up, it's going to be a difficult night because he, he's given up 10 home runs on the year. We know exactly uh, what happens when he makes mistakes. And I, I hate to speak this way about him, but that's the reality of it. I mean, this time last year, we were thinking, man, Christian McLeod may be a first-round draft pick next year because he was absolutely filthy last year. Now, granted, he didn't face any SEC teams. It was all in a non-conference. And so – I don't know, maybe if it's draft-itis, I don't know if perhaps he's not quite as good as we thought. Uh, but, you know, we need a Christian McLeod performance, you know, more in tune with what his potential is and what his expectations are uh, rather than what we saw last week. And, again, you know, there's some times you get out there, next thing you know, and you, you're just not feeling it. We need him to feel it. And I, I really think I like our chances on Saturday. Anytime Bednar is on the mound – I really like our chances to go win a ball game. And, and you know, he, he didn't pitch well against Ole Miss. That's really the one time you look at and say, you know what, we didn't have a great start. But then Jackson Fristo was a guy that's basically been an opener for us. And then all of a sudden now we're kind of pairing him up with, uh, you know, with Houston Harding. And to be honest with you, I like that strategy. I know some people say, hey, Steve, we should just start Houston Harding. I don't agree. And here's why I say that. You get Fristo in there. They stack the lineup with lefties. And then you get what you got last Sunday. Fristo goes out there, gets you through the order once, maybe twice. And then you bring in Hootie, and then he chews up those left-handers. And next thing you know, we're closing the ballgame out. And so it's very reminiscent of the Fitz-Ross Mitchell thing. I'm 100% in favor of it. Uh, I, I think you've got you've to manage the game and not just say, okay, well, let me just throw my guy out there. Because if we announce Houston Harding as the starter, well, then they're going to stack right-handers against us. And so even if we expect Harding to get the lion's share of the innings on Sunday, it's pretty smart for us to throw Fristo out there as an opener just because they're going to stack the lineup that really gives Houston Harding a better chance to be competitive. 
because that lefty-on-lefty matchup, that's one of the greatest disparities in baseball. Everybody typically sees right-hand pitching growing up, so you kind of learn to adjust to that. It's what you know. But that lefty-on-lefty matchup is absolutely filthy. When you got a guy like him that can spot up a change and run that breaking ball away, uh, it makes it difficult on the left-handers. So why not put him in a situation that allows him to be more successful? And that's what starting Jackson Fristo does. I think it is the absolute best way to go. And so there are many people kind of clamoring, oh, Harding needs to start. I'm telling you, if we announce him as a starter, it's not going to be nearly as effective. That's just not how the game works. So let's just keep doing what we're doing. That's uh, so why we had a discussion here recently about, you know, you know what we have done as a team, you know, some of these Jackson Fristo starts. You know, we win more times than not on Sundays. And, the, and that's usually what we're doing to close out a series is win on Sunday. And we've done, we've done pretty well there. So let's run through the South Carolina schedule real quick here just uh, before we kind of move on to what's happening around the rest of the SEC. You know, it's been an interesting year at South Carolina. Not been a great year. They've been kind of up and down at times, but they've shown some real flashes. And listen, they'll be up to play us. You, I mean, you better expect that. This is a proud program that got embarrassed last weekend. We're going to get their best shot. We really are. They opened the season with a three-game sweep of Dayton. None of those games were competitive. They take down Winthrop, and then they get a, uh, a couple of wins against Clemson. You know, Clemson has been unranked this year, but they, uh, they sweep Louisville last weekend. Big surprise there. And then uh, they blast Winthrop. They win a three-game set against Mercer. They take down the Citadel, and then they get swept by Texas. And when that happened, that really appeared to be a loud series for Texas. And so you wonder why Texas jumped so much in the rankings. It's because they beat a a pretty good South Carolina team. They swept that series uh, in Columbia. And what's interesting, too, if you go back and look at the – excuse me, that was in in Austin. But if you look at the scores, 4-1, 3-0, 8-5. So Texas pitching really matched up well and really held that offense down. And listen, Texas Park is not necessarily an offensive park, but it's not some cavernous region either. It's not, you know, it's not Yellowstone Park either uh, where it's necessarily a pitcher's park. I mean, this, is, this lineup can be beaten is my point. So after the embarrassment against Texas, they uh, lose to Davidson right there in Founders Park, 9-4. And Davidson, uh, you know, not necessarily a great team and certainly uh, not a team you expected to go in there and win a ball game in South Carolina. Uh, the next weekend, they lose two out of three in Nashville. And this is when everybody said, okay, South Carolina's coming, coming back to earth. You know, they get the one game on Sunday in Nashville. And again, that's Sunday has been a good a good week, a good week in day for South Carolina. But they lose the first one 3-2, and they lose to Leiter 5-0 uh, in that ballgame, one of Leiter's last big starts. But they get it going again. I mean, they do. I mean, you had the little lull in the season there, but they turn it around pretty quick. They, they take down the Citadel 8-3 there in Founders Park, and then they sweep Florida in Columbia. And that's a 9-8 game on Friday – one of the only Friday games they've won in SEC play, and that's a 9-8 winner in 14. They went on Saturday 4-1, and then on Sunday 8-5. to And that's when everybody said, hey, look at this. And, you know, it's one of those things, too, just when Florida makes us believe in them, they do something else. And, and I still think Florida's going to be really good down the stretch. 
but they're so inconsistent. And that is one of those things you look at and you say, this is a team that was picked by many to win an AFL championship and certainly the SEC. And they may not even host. I still think they're scary. I, I would not want them in my region as a number two. Uh, South Carolina takes down Gardner-Webb, and then they take two out of three on the road at Georgia. And so, you know, again, that's you know five out of six SEC wins after having that really bad lull. They lose in extras in Charlotte to UNC three to two. Then they lose the Friday night game. We talked about the Friday problems they've had. They lose to Missouri seven two, worst one of the worst teams in the Power Five. They bounce back and spank them on Saturday, Sunday, 11-1-13-4. They get Charleston Southern. Then they go to Baton Rouge, and they lose the Friday night game. Again, a consistent theme with the Fridays, right? Farr loses 5-1 in Baton Rouge. I watched that game. That was a Thursday night game, excuse me. And then they end up playing a doubleheader on Saturday, two sevens on the getaway day. They lose 4-2, or they won 4-2-9-0 in Baton Rouge. Then they, uh, they take the middle game against Arkansas at South Carolina. And, again, you know, Arkansas does not have front-line pitching. Arkansas has good pitching. You know, Cobbs is an absolute freak on the back end. But they don't have elite starting pitching at Arkansas. Powell, I think, has been kind of up and down. I think that he's a guy that will be really good next year. But, you know, Arkansas holds them to one run in game one. And then one run on Sunday. So you got two games with this big offense – and so the blueprint is out there how to pitch against these guys. It's just going to be whether or not we can go out there and execute that game plan. I mean, there are people out here that have done a good job slowing those guys down. Uh, they played the Citadel again, I guess, three times this year, beat them 9-5 in Founders. And then last weekend, of course, they get swept by Ole Miss. And, again, it's a 5-1 deal on Friday. And Listen, I don't care who you're pitching. When you score one run on Friday, chances are you're not going to win. That's just not how life works. And then Ole Miss wins uh, 7-3 in game one on Saturday and then 6-4. And so this pitching situation at South Carolina is rather interesting because I just don't think they have shutdown pitching. I think they have good pitching. I think we, we're going to be able to hit the baseball. Uh, and then they struggle last, uh, on Wednesday night to take care of North Florida. I want to run this down for you real quick here because I thought it was interesting that, you know, the, the game was originally scheduled to be played on Tuesday. They ended up moving it to Wednesday. North Florida, guys, 16 and 19 on the year. North Florida gets up 2 nothing. South Carolina comes right back, makes it a 3-2 ball game. Then it's a 5-2 ball game in favor of South Carolina. And then North Florida puts up four runs in the fourth inning to take the lead 6-5. It stayed that way until the seventh, and they finally got into the bullpen. They win the ball game 7-6. Not a great night. Uh, nine hits there. And, again, it's a couple of bombs to get this thing going. They had uh, you know, Braylon Wimmer and Wes Clark both hit home runs. And it's just, you know, again, this is not a team that's going to string a lot of hits together. And so if you don't give them free passes and you don't hit pitches, hit by pitches, and you don't commit errors, and you make them go out there and string hits together, you're going to win the ball game. Simple as that. So, again, I like this South Carolina team, but I certainly think we're capable of going up there and winning the series, and that's what I expect us to do. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. 
After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Hi, Bulldog fans. Our friends from Tacovas want to remind you that uh, it's festival season. It's concert season. It's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tacovas is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to Tecovas dot com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, let's look around the SEC here, kind of preview the weekend for you. Of course, a couple of games have already taken place, as you guys are well aware. Florida loses on the road at Lexington 7-5. And I really thought Kentucky would take a game. Now that they've won this one, you kind of wonder if they're going to take the series. And, you know, that's just the last thing Florida needs. You know, Florida's riding high. They get right back in the mix. Everybody's excited again. They take down Vanderbilt. You're thinking, okay, maybe they can play their way into host. And then the weekend before they're about to announce the 20 host sites, you go lose on the road at Lexington and you're a bubble team, you're not hosting. Florida not doing themselves any favors by losing this ballgame. They got to win these next two, or I think they're out of the mix in the 20. Now, you could argue, you know, hey, Florida could get hot down the stretch and, you know, possibly even win the league or go on the run and win the SEC tournament. But if this weekend doesn't go their way, they're not going to host. They'll be a number two somewhere, maybe the most dangerous two in the country. But this is a huge result on Thursday night with them dropping that ball game to Kentucky. LSU takes down Auburn 8-3 at Auburn. LSU needs to get hot. 
know, we, they've got a favorable schedule. The problem they have is they don't have a lot of RPI resume-building opportunities. They just don't. I think Alabama's probably their best in the conference. They've got a big uh, midweek game coming up at Louisiana Tech. And I think both teams need that game to be played. LSU needs the win and the RPI boost. And I think Louisiana Tech is right there in the discussion on the back end of being one of these host sites. So they got the new ballpark, and they certainly have earned it, and they've done a really good job this year. They beat Ole Miss. They beat Arkansas. They're a dangerous team. They've got a really good chance to host. And so if they get a win over LSU, then I think, number one, it, it, just, it really hurts LSU's chances of making the tournament, but it helps lose Uanna Tech's opportunity to, to host, which is crazy to think about. But Lane Burroughs done a great job there, and everybody in the industry tells me he is the next guy to make the big jump. He is the next guy from, you know, the group of five to that's going to get that big power five job. I don't think there's any question. I think there's going to be a lot of teams in the SEC looking for coaches this year. Lane could certainly be a guy in, in the discussion for several of those jobs. Now, looking around the league, Alabama at Vanderbilt – It'll be interesting to see what happens to Jack Leiter on, on Saturday. Now, I don't think Alabama offensively uh, can really challenge Vanderbilt, but as bad as things have gone for Leiter as of late, you look at this and say, you know what? Alabama might have a couple chances to take a game. Not saying that they'll win the series. I think that Vanderbilt uh, probably will figure this thing out a little bit, and I don't know with all the injuries on the Alabama pitching staff if they've got enough to kind of match up. Because if they ever get to Maldonado in the bullpen at Vanderbilt, that's a W, right? So, with how they've pitched it on Sundays, it's been so hit or miss. I could see Alabama taking a game, and we really need Alabama to take a game. We don't have to have them take a game. Of course, Vanderbilt's going to be at Ole Miss, and I think Ole Miss certainly capable of getting a game from Vanderbilt, maybe two. But if Alabama can get a game for Vanderbilt, that's really big for Mississippi State. Georgia on the road at Arkansas. Now, Scott Strickland and those guys, the Bulldogs of the East, they're going to be able to pitch it. Scott Strickland's a great recruiter, developer of pitchers, and uh, they're going to execute. Now, Arkansas is built to play in that ballpark. You make a mistake to a left-handed hitter there, it's a home run. I mean, it's almost like a jet stream. It's almost like left field at LSU. That's how right field is at bomb. It just, that's just what it is. It's inter- I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how that park's going to play once they uh, – they finished the uh, renovations up there. It's going to be a little bit different. I'm just curious to see what happens to the wind patterns up there when they make that change out there. But uh, we, we really need Georgia to take a game from Arkansas. We need Georgia to get the sweep. I don't expect that, though. But, you know, if we can just get a game there, because, you know, we're a game out of first place. We're tied with Vanderbilt. We're tied with Tennessee. We just need to take care of business. And, you know, I don't expect us to go sweep. But if we win the series and we can get somebody else to take a game from these other two, we at least kind of keep pace with the teams we're around. Ole Miss at A&M. I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb here. I expect Ole Miss to take the series. I think Texas A&M will take a game, though. The Texas A&M team that we saw last weekend that played on the road in a pretty hostile environment against a team that's playing pretty well, those guys took us to a couple of one-run games. And that's the thing you begin to think about with us. If we don't have the strength of that great bullpen, we probably lose a game or two against A&M. And so, you know, flip the script here, and you look at that Ole Miss bullpen, and the way A&M can swing it a little bit, who knows? It's difficult to win on the road in this league. I mean, it really, really is. And I know that A&M is a team you look at that record and say, you know what, man, Stevie's guys are awful. 
Uh, they didn't play awful. Their effort wasn't awful. They always pitch it well. That's Rob Childress, man. That, and that's, you know, that's what I've said before, you know, on Gene's page. You know, I don't know that Scott Foxhall gets an opportunity to go be head coach this year, and I don't know if he'll get opportunities that he's interested in. He may just be happier here. But if Foxhall ever leaves and Childress is available, I'm calling Rob Childress. That, that guy, his pitchers are always great. They're always competitive. They're always throwing strikes. Even in lean years, they get out there and pitch it pretty well. The issue that's been they just hadn't been able to generate enough offense. Tennessee at Mizzou, and we don't expect to get any help from Missouri, but, man, if we could get anything from them, it'd be a, a great benefit to us. Of course, Mississippi State doesn't play Tennessee this year, but uh, we're right there with them, and they're certainly in the mix for a potential top eight national seed. They are a lock to host. But they've got kind of a tough road to hold the last couple of weeks. We mentioned, of course, LSU at Auburn. Uh, you know, we don't really need either one of these teams to win. You know, I'd like to see Butch and those guys have a chance to get into the Hoover. And, of course, they play Missouri the final weekend, so they can maybe stack up a couple wins and, and sneak in. Missouri's not going anywhere. But uh, LSU, A&M, Auburn, all kind of jockeying for position there to get that final spot in Hoover. LSU could do some damage this weekend. And, and here's the thing, too, when you begin to think about LSU's path to the dance, you know, they can't go six and three. You know, LSU's probably, at worst, got to win seven, go seven and two, and then probably win that game against Louisiana Tech. Uh, what are they, seven and 14 right now? They win the game tonight, makes them eight and 14. You know, and so I, I think if you get to 14, 16, if you're LSU, you know, because you're LSU and because I think your RPI will be high enough, I think you can get in. I, I think if you go six and three, and let's say you go 0 and 1 in Hoover, I, I think you're over. And there is a lot of discussion out there that Paul Maneri may hang him up. I spoke to uh, Sonny Ship, longtime publisher of Go247. I've known Sonny a long time. Matter of fact, he and I used to fly all over the country and cover these all-star games and uh, go to these big events You know, we were with another network. But, um, you know, Sonny says, kind of agrees with me, that there's, there's enough chatter out there about Paul Maneri potentially retiring that you have to take it seriously. You know, Maneri's been coaching, I think, what, 42 years? I mean, this guy's been at it a long time. You know, and I think there's been a lot of things. You know, his dad died a few years ago, and a lot of people thought that, you know what, he may go ahead and hang it up shortly after that and spend more time with his family. And I understand that, uh, you know, Paul's a guy that, uh, you know, standing around the dugout four or five hours is just not what it once was. And, you know, I, I think there's probably going to be some uh, undercurrent to probably try to, to fire Alan Dunn as a pitching coach at LSU. I think that's probably a mistake, to be honest with you. But, there could be change at LSU this year. And so I, I think that LSU will rally down the stretch, but they're going to need to play well to get into this tournament. It is far from a sure thing that they get in. And I know a lot of people want to see them in. I know the LSU, the, probably the rallying cry down in Baton Rouge is like, nobody wants us in their bracket. They better not let us in this tournament. You know, all we got to do is have a big month in May and we're in. And, you know, we'll go to Hoover and win a game or two. And then it'll be a brand-new season for us. And all the, all the drama and all the adversity we've had will be behind us, and we'll have a chance to go play for a national championship. That will be their, their rallying cry. And they're so good offensively, you know, they're a team that could be a real problem. Of course, they won't have the benefit of playing in Alex Box Stadium because wherever they go, they're going to be on the road. But that's a team to really watch, and this is a big weekend for them. They, need, they probably need to sweep Auburn. All right, let's jump into today's top 10 list brought to you by the fine folks at johnnypacker.com. That's right, Johnny with a Y, johnnypacker.com. 
it's uh, listen the sun's coming out you guys are going to be going to the beach you're going to be on the road you're going to be at the water park you're going to be out fishing you're going to be out looking cool or trying to anyway what better way to do it than with some new glasses go to johnnypacker.com today and find some california style with the golden triangle flare this is a company owned and operated by mississippi state employees excuse me mississippi state family members Brandon and John both do a great job looking to uh, listen, listen to do, uh, helping to do a good thing and provide you guys with a quality product. And listen, if you continue to buy, you know, $20, $30, $40 sunglasses, you listen, you get what you pay for. And then all of a sudden you're thinking, well, you know, Steve, if I lose them, I'm not out on anything. You know, listen, when you've got nicer things, you're going to take better care of them. And that's what you're going to get at johnnypacker.com. You're going to get quality eyewear that is well-constructed, that is very fashionable. It's not going to pinch your nose. It's going to rest on your face very comfortably. And Brandon has been generous enough to set you guys up with a promo code. Go to johnnypacker.com today, and it's very simple. Use promo code BONEYARD, and that gets you 10% off. So you're already making some money by listening to the show. You're going, to, you're going to go buy the glasses anyway. Let me save you 10 bucks, 10%, excuse me. And then a portion of your purchase, the port of the proceeds, is donated to the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. And I've had several of you reach out and say, you know what, Steve, I've been touched by CF. I had a friend or a, you know, a, a, a classmate or I had this or so. And, you know, everybody's been connected in some way with this horrible disease. And so you're going to do a great thing for yourself by getting some quality sunglasses. I'm going to save you a little cash by giving you the Boneyard promo code. And then you're going to help hopefully find a cure and treatment for cystic fibrosis. Go check it out today, Johnny Packer. Dot com. All right, top 10 list. I can't remember who sent it to me, but we, we bumped this one up in the list. I've got several, but listen, I want more, okay? Find me on social media, at Scout Cvar. Send me your ideas for a top 10 list. And even those, those of you that give me repeats, I'll just, I'll just send you the list because I know that you're interested to see what we thought. So today's top 10 list, you know, you guys know, if you've listened to this show for very long or if you've been around me, you know that I love women. I do. I love them all. I love some more than others, but I do love them all. But I love women that rock. I absolutely do. I think it is the greatest thing. Um, And so somebody reached out and said, hey, Steve, how about a Pat Benatar list? And I'm like, let's do it, Roy. Let's go ahead and bump this one right to the top. And uh, pretty soon that Spotify list will be out there and be available. And listen, I tweet those and then I share them on Facebook. But if you don't see those, you can go to on Spotify, go to Dogmatic, that's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7, Dogmatic67, and you can find all of the Boneyard playlists right there. So here is the Pat Benatar list, and uh, pretty good list, I got to say. I was putting this thing together, and I got pretty fired up about it, to be honest with you. All right, number 10, a song that was written back in the late 1970s, and uh Pat says it was after she watched some uh, some big New York Times retrospective, you know, some investigative journalism thing about child abuse. And she wrote a song called Hell is for Children. And a lot of people, they hear that title, they see that title and think, oh, well, this is awful. No, it's, it's about child abuse. And it's about showing solidarity with those that are, uh, that are abused. And so it's a very empowerful, empowering song and a very powerful song. And it is a song that Pat Benatar says that they have played every night pretty much of their entire career since it came out because it is uh, supposed to be in support of those who have suffered from abuse. 
Number nine, off the soundtrack of Legend of Billie Jean, it's Invincible. We are Invincible. And if you have never seen The Legend of Billie Jean, you young bucks, you are missing out. It was a great, great film. And I probably have seen that thing 50 times. And anytime I think about the name Huey Pyatt, I get mad because he busted up Christian Slater's scooter and forced them to kind of hide out in Corpus Christi. It's a great movie. Great 80s film. The Legend of Billie Jean and Invincible was basically the theme song of that movie. Uh, Number eight, You Better Run. This is one of those things, too. You go back, it's like, a lot of people think, well, Pat Benatar, you know, she's got all these great ballads. This is one that's a little more in your face. Go check it out. You better run. And then number seven, they used to play this a lot at uh, college football venues. It's all fired up. Great tune. It rocks, too. And it's one of those songs, too, that uh, she, Pat has a great band. And this is one of those that really kind of they kind of show off behind her. Number six, this is, was a huge hit for Pat. It's Treat Me Right. And her, the vocal on this is ridiculous. You know, I don't, I don't know who does the harmony with her on that chorus, but uh, they really get up there. Pat Benatar, one of the best female vocalists of all time, especially in the rock genre. Number five, and everybody knows this one, and it, and it seems like this song was everywhere. It's Hit Me With Your Best Shot. Come on, hit me with your best shot. And so that was out there, and it seems like when I was a kid, that song was played all the time, and it just seemed to be one of those songs that you just couldn't escape from. They still play it. Number four, and this song got new life thanks to Seinfeld. And it's heartbreaker, because you remember when, uh, when George Steinbrenner was looking for George Costanza? And George was hiding underneath the desk, you know, in his little uh, nap area there. He could, uh, Steinbrenner had the airworm, and he couldn't figure out the lyrics to Heartbreaker. And so he's kind of sat in there singing the song. It's very humorous. But uh, Heartbreaker, great tune. I think you'll dig that one if you don't know it. Number three, one of, another one of these songs of empowerment and uh, solidarity, it's We Belong. This was a, I think this was the number one hit, too. It's, you know, Pat had a string of top 40 hits, and many of them went to the top 10, and several of them went to number one. And I believe this is one of them. Number two, Shadows of the Night. I almost put this one number one. Almost. That's how much I dig it. I think you will, too. But number one for me is Love is a Battlefield. And uh, not just because we've all lived it, but it's true. Love is a battlefield, and uh, I kind of like the little dance they do in the video. You know, it's like there's this serious, serious song, and the next thing you know, we're all doing the shoulder shimmy in a bar, which is kind of interesting. Pat Benatar was a great MTV commodity. Because, number one, she could absolutely wail, but she was also, like, a decent actress. Like, in that, in that video, Love is a Battlefield, it's very believable. They have, like, this little story that's kind of built around the video. So go check that out. That's a top 10 list, Pat Benatar. And listen, I, I appreciate when you guys reach out and say, hey, Steve, what about this one? What about that one? Because sometimes we miss them. And Roy keeps a pretty detailed list of who all we've done. And then every so often I'll say, hey, have we done this? Let's add it to the list. Or you guys will send a suggestion. And so I appreciate, number one, the suggestion. Number two, I appreciate the female vocal aspect of this because we want to be equal opportunity here. I love all music. And I love the fact that, um, you know, that there are so many influential female vocalists out there. And Pat Benatar is an absolute legend. 
and that it is on us that we didn't get to her before now. So we have righted that wrong. Enjoy the Pat Benatar list on your Friday today. All right, this next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. You guys are very familiar with them now. There were so many people when I first started working with Campus Bookmart. They said, hey, Steve, where is Campus Bookmart? I've always heard about it. I've never been there. I've been here. I've been there. I've never been to Campus Bookmart. It's right there on the backside of campus. You know when you're all on 182, right, going towards campus, and you see the, uh, the highway patrol station right there? You turn right there. You just turn right there, and the next thing you know, Campus Bookmark's down there on the left right before you get to campus. Easy to find. Very spacious location. Uh, got books. Got everything you need to be a student, but also, too, everything you need to be a fan. Right under one roof. You should go check it out. Stan and Man, Miss Kathy Brown, lovely, talented Susie, they're all going to treat you right. They'll treat you like family. They love it when you come in. And, and one of the things, too, when you go in there, too, you won't just get a quality product at a quality price with quality service. You'll get a quality visit, too, because, listen, these people enjoy their customers. They're going to sit here and say, oh, you guys got a birthday today or whatever. It's not, you know, it's, you know, you go some places and you buy something and the cashier won't even look up at you and they're sitting there staring at their phone. Okay, it'll be $19.99. It's not like that. Service with a smile every time. Campus Bookmart. Go by, check them out today. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, We'll give you a phrase that pays, and that's BSR, and you guys know what that stands for. It's Beautiful Steve Robertson, and that gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks, any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. Isn't it great that you listen to the show and you get promo codes from places you want to do business with anyway? Isn't that cool? It's like, hey, Steve, I was going to go shop at Campus Bookmart, and you know what? I love online shopping, and then the shipping's on me. How great is that? You, you can't lose. Promo code BSR at campusbookmart.net. Okay, let's talk a little bit about how this whole selection process with college baseball is going to work. There's been so much misinformation out there. And a lot of people, again, kind of took Kendall Rogers' first tweet and then kind of filled in the blanks with their own imagination and kind of an alternate reality and didn't read the rest of them and didn't go back and read the article. And to be fair, we didn't have all the details and neither did Kendall at the time. So here is what I understand. Now, of course, things could change tomorrow. I don't expect that to happen. But here is what I understand about what's going to happen this week. So we will have a full slate of games this weekend. And then the NCAA College Baseball Committee will meet via Zoom call, and they will begin to debate the merits of the 46 teams that submitted bids to host. And that's a lot. I don't know if that's more or less than usual, but it's 46. The initial pare down is going to go to 20. Now, there are only going to be 16 regional host sites, but basically what they're going to do is tell 20 of these 46 schools, your bid has been accepted for consideration to be an NCAA regional host site for the first round then those schools will begin to implement the plan they submitted as far as COVID testing protocols. It's not just about the venue and not just about concessions and how we're going to do this and how we're going to do that. The underlying issue here is can these schools test all four teams 
and the staffers and everybody involved, every participant at every level, can they get everybody tested on a day-to-day basis and turn those results around quick enough that they can play ball games? And so once the 20 schools have been announced that are still in consideration, those schools will begin to kind of prepare and begin to let all those, put all these contingency plans together, put it all in place, and then that portion of the process will be finished. Everybody will just kind of be sitting on go, waiting for them to say, okay, you are one of the 16. Now, four of the teams that are going to have their bids accepted are not going to get a regional. That's just to give the committee a little wiggle room, right? Because let's say, you know, we've talked about this on Wednesday show. What if you have somebody that gets a host site and then they go in the tank? Or what if you have somebody like Florida that maybe right now is not a 16, but maybe in a week to two weeks, they will be a 16. And so you kind of got to do a little forecasting here and say, you know what, let's prepare just in case here. Maybe let's put Florida in the 20. And then we'll see what happens over the course of the next two weeks. Because what happens if Florida gets hot here and wins, you know, you know, seven or eight ball games down the stretch, you know, and finish, you know, in the top three or four teams in the, in the SEC, which is the money conference, right? Best baseball conference in America. And so if that's the case, you, know, you could have a situation where you have, you know, potentially, you know, a top two or three team in the SEC not hosting but then you have somebody that's fourth, fifth in in the conference that is hosting. And so I think there has to be a little wiggle room there for a school like Florida that is kind of peaking late. You know, they they stumbled earlier with that sweep of South Carolina and kind of dropped from contention, but now they're kind of back in the mix after they, you know, that they sweep, uh, who was we talked about earlier? It it doesn't matter. Um, But they've won a couple series in a row now, including that one at Vanderbilt, which is a pretty loud win for them. So now they're back, you know, kind of back in the conversation. And so by having 20, it gives the NCAA committee a little room to kind of protect itself. Because if they they just announce the 16 and all of a sudden, you know, say Florida goes and wins the league, and all of a sudden you don't have Florida hosting, I mean, how embarrassing is that? You know, and that's one of those things where I think – expanding this initial cut to 20 makes perfect sense. Absolutely perfect sense. Now, so when, so Steve, when will it go down to 16? I think it's going to go just as it has in recent years where in maybe the Saturday of the, of the conference tournaments that they're going to announce the regional host sites. I don't think they're going to go ahead and announce the seeds, the top eight national seeds. I don't believe that's going to be the case. But I believe what happens is you announce the 16 on that Saturday, and then on Monday you release the field. So Saturday is regional host announcement day, and then Sunday is at is conference championship day, right? Everybody wins the conference championships on Sunday, and then they, uh, they announce the field on Monday. I believe that protocol will likely continue to be followed. I think that's exactly what's going to happen now, some people have suggested wrongly that they're going to go ahead and announce the, the Super Regional sites, too. That is incorrect, and I have said that on this show countless times, and I guess maybe some of you guys don't believe me. Uh, what is going to happen is, yes, eight of the 16 regional sites will be Super Regional locations, but that's not going to be announced, and that's not going to be decided until after the first round. After the regionals are over, then that's when 
we'll know where everybody's going to play. Now, if the top eight national seeds advance, there's no decision to be made because those are the teams that the top eight will host a regional. If they advance, they'll host a super. There's just nothing to discuss. Now, where the discussion comes in is what if there is an upset on both sides of that bracket? Let's like say for an example, like um, Arkansas is the number one seed. Let's say Arkansas gets upset by a two seed. Well, they're not a host school, right? And then on the opposite side of that bracket, I don't know who's 16 right now, but let's just say for, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, let's say it's Louisiana Tech. And let's say Louisiana Tech gets upset. Well, then let's say you have two two seeds advance. Well, neither of those two seeds were host sites for a regional. So they would be ineligible to host a super regional. So then either the Arkansas campus or the Louisiana Tech campus would host a super even though they're not playing in it. So the two teams that did advance would essentially play at a neutral site location at either the University of Arkansas or Louisiana Tech. And I hope that makes some sense for you. It's similar to what happened in 07 with us and Clemson. You know, we go and upset Florida State, and then Clemson goes and upsets, I believe it was South Carolina. And so they end up having to come here. Well, that's just – that's not possible in this current format for this year because of all the COVID testing protocols that have to happen. I mean, once that process is in place, they're not going to want to take a show on the road the next week. It's like, okay, listen, we've got everybody doing what they know to do. There's no point going somewhere and training somebody else. We're just going to continue to do this. And to me, that makes perfect sense this year, not going forward, but this year. And let's make it as easy as we can to kind of get everybody tested and, and get those results back and get people back on the field. I mean, that's, that's what needs to happen. So here are some series to really watch this weekend, especially on the back end of this thing. Now, I think we all probably pretty much understand, you know, there's much of the discussion about, you know, and I'm going to pull these projections up too. I'm a D1 baseball guy. I like Teddy Cahill and those guys, Joe Healy at Baseball America too. But I subscribe to D1 Baseball because, listen, I've seen, uh, you know, Fiddy and Etheridge and uh, Kendall and those guys out there. I have, I have been out there multiple times and uh, all times of year, and they're there. And I've seen them come to Duty Noble Field you know, for fall baseball. And, and they don't just come when the regionals are here. They've come other times too. And so I have a lot of respect for the fact that those guys actually get out and go watch college baseball games. And I've always felt it's difficult to rank people or teams that you never see play. And that's not to say that Baseball America doesn't have some guys out there. They do. But I think D1 Baseball just simply does a little bit better job. Okay, so currently the top eight national seeds as projected by D1 Baseball, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, TCU, Mississippi State, Notre Dame, Arizona, Tennessee, and Texas. Now, I expect a lot of that to change, especially on the back end. Uh, You know, we'll see what happens with TCU here in the weeks to come. I think TCU is really kind of flimsy. We should have beat them, and we all know that. I think if we play them again, we will beat them. So those eight teams, though, I think everybody can – I think everybody across the board would agree that all eight of those teams are going to be in the 20, no matter what happens this weekend, right? And if you look at Notre Dame, you know, Notre Dame, I think, is overvalued as the number five seed. I would love, 
I'd love to have them paired up with us in a Super Regional. I'm just not impressed. But I think Notre Dame, too, makes a lot of sense from a regional hosting location because you need some people there in the Midwest. Some of those Big East teams and uh, those teams in the North, you know, it makes sense geographically to go there. Now, one of the things that I do want to point out to you about the D1 baseball projections that I don't agree with, and uh, these are things that I, I think people just don't, as, as the, the expression was used, they don't connect the dots. The NCAA committee does not like to put previous opponents in brackets. Now, they don't mind pairing you up with a conference foe in the Super Regional, but they try to avoid that kind of stuff in the regional. Now, the D1 Baseball latest projection has the Starkville Regional with Mississippi State, Jackson State, Southern Miss, and Tulane. Well, we have played all three of those teams. So it is very rare that you get a previous opponent in your bracket. It isn't, it's not unheard of. We have had that happen to us before. I think Florida Atlantic was one uh, that snuck in. But it's pretty rare to get more than one previous opponent. And so the chances of that bracket being pulled off are basically slim and none. So I know a lot of people see that and they panic and freak out. That's just not going to be the case. You know, there's no way we're going to have three previous opponents, especially as a four seed. It'd be one thing if we were the last team to get a regional because that team's going to be stacked. You know, you're, you're going to have the probably the strongest number two in your region. And so that's just not going to happen for us. So – we do believe those eight teams, though, are complete safely in the 20. Now, there is some ebb and flow on the back side of this thing. Uh, let me just get here. So, number the number nine seed, them is Texas Tech. Uh, I like this Texas Tech team. It's kind of weird, though. They lose to Kansas State and Baylor, but they come back and they drill Texas. And so, they can be a dangerous team. I do think they're a team that will advance to Super Regional out there. I do think they're a team, too, that is probably safe. They're certainly in the 20. Ole Miss, at this point, projected as the number 10 seed. They're safely in the 20. But I think they're one of those teams you look at, too, that could play their way out of the 16. I know I don't think there was any question they weren't going to host last weekend. Then they sweep South Carolina and they get right back in the mix. And then so they've got a you know, big weekend this weekend, obviously, where they need to win that series. And then you've got Vanderbilt next weekend. So Ole Miss needs some wins. RPI-wise, they're really good. Uh, Oregon out there at 11, and that's another one, too. You look at, you know, they they got beat by Washington State, I guess, last weekend. And that's, those are the things you look at. Those are the things that get you to lose your regional hosting spot. Stanford out there at 12. I don't know that we need two West Coast hosts. I really don't. I don't think Pac-12 baseball is enough to support that. I know they'll get some at-largest, but it just doesn't make sense to me that we have two uh, in the Pac-12. So we'll see how things kind of go this weekend. Tech currently at 13. And that's why it's so important for Tech to play that LSU game and win it. And Tech can't have a bad weekend. Florida currently uh, as the 14, and then they lose tonight. You know, it's just that's a very precarious position to be in. And then you go on the road and lose the game against Kentucky, and I think Kentucky's safely in the tournament. Uh, Pittsburgh is your 15. They didn't even play last week because of COVID. And uh, you talk about a cake of a regional. They have uh, UCLA, UConn, and Lehigh. That's just That's just ridiculous. It is. That's a ridiculous projection. There's no way that a 15 seed is going to get 
that easy of a regional. And then 16 was uh, East Carolina. You know, I think East Carolina's in the 20, but I think there's another team out there in the Carolinas that people need to be mindful of, and that's Charlotte. That's a team right there. If they can avoid uh, a disaster this weekend, I think they're a team that slips into the 20. You know what else is kind of wild too? Southern Miss could sneak into the 20. Think about that for a second. You could have Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and Southern Miss in the 20. And that's the thing you look at this weekend, how huge the whole thing is. What if Ole Miss loses a series? And what if Southern Miss doesn't? Does Southern Miss make the 20 and Ole Miss not? It's something to think about. And if you're Ole Miss, you got to think, okay, we're good, we're good, we're good. And I don't know that that's the case. It's like when you've had a month of losing weekends and all of a sudden you have one say, okay, we're back, we're back, we're back. I don't know that you are back. You know, it's like, you know, Nikhazy's missed some time, Hogwin's missed some time. You know, what's going to happen this week? You know, struggled to polish off Arkansas State earlier this week. You know, and so would the committee give three sites to Mississippi? I don't know. There's probably an outside shot at that. But, you know, Ole Miss down there at A&M this weekend, if they go down there and lose that series, wouldn't you take Southern Miss over them? And remember, they're not going to announce the 16 until after the regular season is over. So let's say Ole Miss drops a game at A&M, drops a series to Vanderbilt, and then drops a series to Georgia. And so I think Ole Miss right now is safely in the 20. I don't think they're safely in the 16. I think they are one of the teams that's probably the most vulnerable. And I think you, I think you could conceivably see Mississippi State and Southern Miss host a regional and Ole Miss go on the road as a two. Just some things to think about. Let's talk some recruiting brought to you by the fine folks at Portico. You guys know Brooks Bryan. Brooks Bryan's always out there in the lounge, man. Saw him this past weekend. He reached down to give me a five. I had to make all the effort. I jumped up there, dropped my hat, everything. It's all on Brooks. Now, Brooks, my buddy, he's your buddy too. And it's not just because he robbed a home run against the University of Washington in a regional send us to Omaha. It's because Brooks is committed to making Starkville the best place possible. Brooks, one of the developers of a brand-new residential development right off Garrett Road, right behind the Chrysler dealership. You guys know, when you turn off 82 on the 12, headed towards campus, first road to the right, Great place, man. I tell you what, you got it right out there. Like, even if you don't have a real estate agent, I'm going to encourage you to go out there, right out there and check it out and see for yourself. And then you're going to say, you know what? This, this could be home for us. And it certainly could be. Portico, great properties. Got the home big enough for you, whether it's an investment property or a growing family. Maybe it's going to be your permanent residence. Maybe it's your year-round residence. Maybe it's an investment property for you. Maybe it's your home away from home. Houses in set range in size from 1,300 to 2,000 square feet. Two-bedroom, two-bath, up to four-bedroom, four-bath. Got that walking trail in the pavilion area so you can entertain, and then you can walk off that banana pudding in style. You need more information let me encourage you to call my friend and your friend, Brooks Bryan. Brooks' phone number, 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. 
Now, you may have heard here in the last several hours that Brandon Turnage, formerly of Lafayette County High School, who signed with Alabama, is in the NCAA transfer portal. Now, I've been hearing for about two months that that deal was already done. He's headed back to Ole Miss, be closer to family, and have a chance to get on the field. I like Brandon Turnage a lot. And, but here's the thing that I always think about is there's a reason these guys are leaving Alabama. And look at the experiences that we've had. Tyrell Shavers comes in here. We got issues. Scott Lassie comes in here, and, and he's not listed to starter right now. And so I don't know what to tell you. But uh, I know immediately everybody says, hey, you know, Brandon Turnage, maybe he'll come here. Listen, guys, he's not coming here, you know, unless something crazy happens. Again, I've been told for some time he's headed back to Ole Miss. That he was going to go in the portal, and he was going to go back to Ole Miss. Uh, got some family concerns back there in Oxford. Listen, I think it's a responsible thing to do. And uh, listen, hope he uh, gets his college degree and has a great life and loses every football game he plays in at Ole Miss. But um, it's not going to be a deal where he uh, is going to be at Mississippi State. So there are some other guys out there that uh, I think will complete this 2021 class sooner rather than later, I would say in the next week to 10 days. Washington State slot receiver Jameer Calvin continuing to hear that Mississippi State's in a good position with him. We'll see how things progress and develop, but I think that that there's a really good possibility that he is going to commit to Mississippi State uh, in the week ahead. Can't say it's a done deal, but I can say that I believe Mississippi State has the inside track. And then there's Bidarius Knighton, defensive back from SEMO, originally from Tunica Rosafort. I think that he is a guy, too, that uh, will announce his decision here in the next week or so, and I believe it's going to be Mississippi State. He has a handful of Power 5 offers right now, and everybody's setting up a Zoom call and trying to talk to him and kind of get him uh, on their campus to be part of their program. A lot of people close to him want him to come home. You know, it's not that far, obviously, to, uh, to Cape Girardeau from the Mississippi Delta, but also, too, chance to come back home and play in your home state. He's a guy that uh, grew up watching uh, Bernard McKinney and Brandon Bryant play at Mississippi State. And so there is a connection there. Of course, uh, McKinley Scott's been a coach there for a long time. So a lot of Mississippi State influence there at Rosa Fort. And I think that uh, this is a guy, too, that sees, you know, it's a chance to play in a Southeastern Conference. He's got one year left to play. And to be honest with you, we really only need a stopgap guy. Somebody come in for one year to kind of help us. He is a guy that has played some at corner. He has primarily been a safety but Mississippi State's philosophy on defense is to put the best five defensive backs on the field. And listen, we need some depth back there. We've got some guys that are rounding back into good health. But as we learned last year, you know, in this league, you never know what's going to happen with COVID testing protocols or with injuries. And so it really tests the quality of your depth chart. So we need to add some guys in there. And, of course, he comes in as a senior, so he'll, he wouldn't use up a grant but for one year. But I think this is a guy that will ultimately announce for Mississippi State and enroll uh, here at the end of the month, I believe it's May 27th when the newcomers report. I believe he'll be a part of that. So excited about that. And uh, we talked at length about, you know, we needed to get two DBs in this class to kind of round it out, which is why we took a couple blue shirts. And if you add an inside receiver and then you add a defensive back, I think you probably met those needs. And, of course, uh, Jaquarius Spivey now in a transfer portal, so it, it doesn't hurt us at all to take another receiver. And that's Knighton has one year, but Calvin would have two years left to play. And so that's something, too, I think is, uh, is also very interesting. So be looking for that in the, in the uh, week to 10 days ahead. And that would close out your 2021 class. And then, of course, you've got a couple of blue shirts out there. They will sign, 
uh, after fall camp begins, which allows them to count towards 2022. And so we expect to sign a full 25, but two of those will already be on campus. So then there'll be 23 new commitments that we'll add and then sign those guys in December and or February. So just kind of be mindful of that as you kind of move forward. A lot of moving parts, this recruiting thing. Of course, Mississippi State's still doing a good job on the recruiting trail. Just got to finish, man. Got to have a good month here and got to do a good job in June with the camps. Big Dog Camp be here June 4th. And then we really think business is going to pick up on the O-line and D-line recruiting efforts. All right, listen, you guys are well aware now, June 7th is a release date for my newest book, Blooms of Oleander. I'm happy to say that Book Martin Cafe here in Starkville is going to carry the book, and Lemuria and Jackson has informed me that they plan to carry the book. There will be other bookstores as well. It's also going to be available at barnesandnoble.com, and I'm sure the Barnes & Noble locations in Mississippi will carry it, and then Amazon as well. I'm going to encourage you, as always, please support our independent bookstores in Mississippi. They've been very good to me, but also, too, they've been very good to our literary community in Mississippi. And these are people you know and trust. You know, it's not just some big corporation somewhere. It's, it's got a warehouse, and you say, well, Steve, I just want a book. I understand that. But Lemuria Books, I have been affiliated with those guys, it seems, all my life. I remember being a kid, and we took a field trip to Jackson, and uh, we didn't have a bookstore in my hometown of Columbia, Mississippi. And so our teacher called ahead, collected everybody's money, and then called ahead and spoke to John Evans himself. And then John ordered the books, and we took a field trip up there. to you know I don't remember where all we went and did, but we went and saw some museums and went to the planetarium and whatever. And then we went by Lemuria Books, and we picked up our books. And I remember walking to that bookstore, and I was completely amazed. I'd never been in a real bookstore before. And I remember walking around there, and I said, you know, one of these days I'm going to have a book on these shelves, and uh, come June I'm going to have four. And that is a huge accomplishment for me. I don't say that to praise myself, but it's one of those things that, you know, you dream of things when you're a kid, and then when it begins to come true, it's how much you want to pinch yourself. So Blooms of Oleander will be out, and uh, very, very excited about it. I actually can't wait, and uh, hearing all the bookstores get excited about getting their orders together really gets me excited. I'll let you guys know as other vendors come online. Uh, but it'll be in every great Mississippi bookstore. And uh, But again, I, I really believe in supporting the Mississippi independent bookstores. And I'll be honest with you, Square Books has never carried a book of mine. They probably never will. And if you're in that area, I still want you to buy from them. I, I don't need them to carry my books to make me feel like that I'm a success. But I believe in our independent bookstores in the state of Mississippi. And so I'm going to encourage you whenever possible buy local and buy in those bookstores because those people really need your business much more than the Amazons of the world do. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.